With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers, start your engines! Get the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about everything racing. Joining me in the studio tonight, I've got Louise Torres and Richard Uden. Guys, how we doing? Good, thank you. Pretty well. Busy. Busy, busy. All right. So uh, NASCAR guys are at Daytona again for the second, you know, second weekend in a row um, on the road course. Uh, and again, we've got so two NASCAR races and two cup races in two first time winners. The last time that happened, I believe, was 1950. Um, but it's uh, Christopher Bell coming through with the win this time. And and Louise Bell is a guy that you and I have been, uh, and, and Richard, we've been talking about for a couple of years as having genuine talent. And I think he could have uh, made the jump in the cup a year ago. But uh, let's talk about this race because it wasn't it wasn't an easy win for Bell. Um, but there were uh, some uh, high drama here and there and everywhere, huh? That certainly was. As far as Bell, it was his, just his second race with Joe Gibbs racing on the cup side. He spent the previous year with Levine Family Racing before that shut down. But Bell has shown strong pace already this season. He just literally wasted no time. And if it wasn't for Chase Elliott, Kurt Busch having a little problems, and Joey Logano finding a way to maintain a race lead, his life depended on it. Sure, Daytona, the 500 was incidental. The other one is just Christopher Bell just outran him. But if it wasn't for that, Bell was still going to be in a strong contender, a strong car. But a lot of things fell in the Bell's lap. But he really earned that effort with that win. Because if it wasn't for certain circumstances, he would have probably had a top five day. But he made most of everybody's misfortunes like Elliott and Kurt Busch and, and Let's talk about Brett, Kes, Brett Keselowski as well. He had an all right showing, but he just had so many issues left and right that he was really not in contention. But yeah, it's a huge deal for them. It caps off a dream weekend for JGR with the first time winners. Obviously, at Xfinity, you had Ty Gibbs winning in his national touring debut and it would tie in his 38th start. But yeah, 
I, we've always known this from though. Was I expecting him to win this early? Probably not. I wasn't really expecting much to see first-time winners this year, but Bell and Reddick and Bubba Wallace would probably be the three that would come close, but I felt like 2022 would have been more realistic. But Bell's just wasted no time. He's just won right out of the gate. Simple as that. Yeah, and, and so we're talking now. We've got um, two guys that ordinarily you wouldn't consider playoff contenders already locked into the playoffs. So that means, you know, there's only 14 spots left because it's pretty obvious that uh, both Michael McDowell and Christopher Bell will finish top 30 in points, barring any weird circumstances that happen through the year because they're both with relatively strong teams that are generally within that top 30. So this makes it tougher on some of the other kind of, you know, fringe guys that that just squeak in that maybe don't win a race or, or you know, maybe uh, only win one when there, there's more winners. So, uh, I mean, I, this is like an early bubble already. You know, for guys like uh, fringe guys, like say you know, Amarola or even like a Ryan Newman. What do you think, Richard? Yeah, I think it, it sort of highlights the strength and the weaknesses of the playoff scene and, and how they determine the, the, the sort of top 16 there. And yeah, there'll be some guys who typically sort of, you know, as you say, place in the top 15 week in, week out and Come, come sort of uh, August, September, they suddenly find themselves in a playoff berth. And uh, it's going to be a lot harder for them to do that this year. So it, it may make them push a little bit harder and, uh, you know, cause a few upsets. Some, some guys that you don't expect to win races, you may see more and more of this throughout the year. But uh, no, I think it's, it, it's good. It freshens up the sport a little bit. It creates a few new names in there. Um, you know, the only sort of downside of it, and this is no disrespect to to uh, the two drivers here, and I'd probably go more McDowell than, than Christopher Bell because I think Bell would have a chance. But, you know, you, you hate having the guys in the first round of the playoffs that are like, yeah, these are the guys that are going to get, you know, out in the first uh, first three races there. Um, and so you, you hope that's not the case, but, uh, you know, it does almost make those first three a bit of like a dead rubber sort of thing and... Uh, you know, just thinning the field out a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Now, Richard, while, I, while I've got you talking, I was reading an article that um, said that perhaps the amount of road courses they have this year is more of a strain on uh, a NASCAR team's resources. Now, I know you have worked within mm -hmm. NASCAR teams and whatnot. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think additional road course races puts a, a strain on the resources or, or is it just business as usual? It I think it will do because historically, um, certain teams and you know the, the places I've worked at, we knew that the drivers that we had in our stable weren't exactly you know road course ringers, to put it mildly, and we would use road course chassis that were three or four years old, you know, quite readily. And we'd give them a new, you know, we'd, we'd powder coat dip them and, you know, put a body on and, uh, hey, try and bring it back in one piece because we've got to use it at the next road course race. Um, and it's, it, it's not that case anymore. You know, you've gone from two, two road courses when I started to, how many is it now, five or six? I think it's seven if you, seven. Count, if seven, seven, if you yeah, count, yeah. The, count the clash. Of course, yeah. So, yeah, it will put more resources in because you, you are going to have to probably build more road course chassis. Um, and, now, of course, 
in the future, when they go to uh, the universal chassis, that'll change things a lot in the next couple of years there. But uh, at the moment, yeah, it probably does create more um, more work for them. And, and, and people will sit there and think, well, how, you know, how does the chassis vary between a road course and a sort of a super speedway or a short track car? Um, it's mainly sort of the suspension geometry and the suspension mounts. Uh, obviously, you know, on a road course, you've got to turn, that sounds very simplistic, I know, you've got to turn in both directions. But, uh, you know, the suspension has to be compliant in both orientation. Uh, you're not trying to shift all of your weight to the left-hand side of the car. Uh, you know, you're going to have ballast rails on the right-hand side. You, you know, road courses, you really do need a nice, even balance. Now, neither the Roval, uh, Charlotte, or Daytona were used uh, when I was involved in this book, but it would be interesting to look at, like, the vehicle dynamics of running those road course circuits where you do run a large amount of the lap on the oval. Uh, maybe they're not quite as road course centric as a, you know, a Sonoma or a Watkins Glen or a Coda would be. Yeah, uh, maybe... and, and and we've got the uh, Indianapolis Roval on there as well. Yeah, which, so... which is the large portion of the that oval. Yeah, yeah. Now, actually, Indianapolis was a, it was an interesting one because that was another course, another track that you would have a slightly different geometry because it's four straights and four corners. Um. You know, so your car dynamics would be a little bit different. As you came off each corner, you wouldn't... If you take, like, a normal D-shaped oval, like a Charlotte or an Atlanta or somewhere like that, you actually sort of blend the exit of turn four into turn one into the trioval area. Then the exit from turn two onto the back stretch would be a little bit different. But you take Indianapolis, you've got you know, corner straight, corner straight. So your dynamic of how you'd set the car up would be slightly different. But I imagine that going to somewhere like these rovals, as, as they like to call them, um, the, the car would be set up a little bit more of a conventional uh, oval car, should we say, than, than you would a conventional road course. Because, you know, you, you look at, going back to the race at the weekend, who was it? Martin Truex Jr., I think it was, coming off turn six, which was the exit of the infield onto the entrance of turn one of the Daytona Oval course. He was great coming off that corner, had huge amounts of grip, huge amounts of drive. And then when he was on the back stretch, people would just blast straight past him. Probably that was a gear ratio thing, you know, his ratios were set, but Maybe not, because I think NASCAR used to do, they used to mandate fourth gear, which is the top gear in a NASCAR cup car, um, to be a one-to-one -one ratio. So everybody should have the same top ratio. So maybe it was a vehicle dynamics thing about how they got that grip down and, uh, and how they utilised that power. But it was interesting to see, you know, different performance in cars at different parts of the track. Yeah, I mean, it's really, you know, interesting that you, you bring that up because you know, as, I, as I sit here and think about, it, you know, how to how to set up a car, you've got to figure that, that the Roval, there are these Roval type courses, infield road courses, or it's a totally different animal than, say, a Watkins Glen or a Mid-Ohio or a Road America yeah. or a Sonoma that has uh, plenty of elevation changes and, and really tight corners because these Rovals are generally pretty flat, you know. And um, other than when they get on the banking for the, for the oval there. So uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's definitely challenging for the engineers and, and imagine Very they've got to so. 
have a, have a lot of a lot of different things in their toolbox this year. Yep, and the simulator, you know, it all goes back to you know as you get less and less testing, uh, especially pre race testing. You know, no no qualifying, no practice as we've seen in the past. Uh, you know, it puts a um, an emphasis on the tools that the teams have available, the simulation tools, the actual driver in the loop simulator that they were been talking. You know, I heard them talking about over the weekend. Uh, you know, it really puts an emphasis on those tools. And, you know, we, we talked about it last year and uh, I think it's quite telling some of the comments and I may be completely wrong and doing people a complete disservice here, but, you know, it, it's quite noticeable that Kyle Bush asked for some personnel changes within his team uh, and they weren't approved, or they weren't agreed upon with his crew chief and that ended up to the split of the crew chief. And I was saying last year, you know, maybe because Kyle Busch was struggling without practice, without qualifying, you know, maybe that highlighted a weakness in their simulation tool. And maybe, again, I'm not, you know, trying to trying to diminish anybody's work by any stretch of the imagination at Joe Gibbs Racing, but maybe it was, you know, maybe that's an area that Kyle, you know, thought could need to be improved was there simulation and, uh, and their race engineering tools and the crew chief didn't agree uh putting two and two there together and making seven or something but uh, you know just just how i see it yeah and of uh, course adam stevens wasted no time he that's bell's crew chief now yeah. and, and huge weight off his shoulders because kyle and adam were there since from 2015 to 2020 it was the second longest driver crew chief combination behind harvick and rodney shoulders but that's no longer the case. Yeah, and, and to your point, I think you know, a lot of folks are saying that uh, Kyle Bush is asking for changes, backfired on him, and it's it's hard to it's hard to disagree with the results on the track. I mean, the, the, here's a guy who was a prolific winner in the sport and a, and a uh, a threat week in and week out, who uh, literally ended up with uh, one win last. He was already out of the playoffs at the time when he run when he uh when he won yeah he was already out of the playoffs and so it was so just go yeah, for wins really yeah mm -hmm. but I, th I think that uh certainly you know they they struggled more than anybody last year with this no practice and it's interesting you know looking at the the greater demands that are going to be placed on the vehicle engineering side of things um how they'll react and how they'll they'll grow that side of the sport because it's 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 the cheapest you know relatively cheap way of obtaining performance out of a vehicle you're not spending the money going to tests going to tracks and doing private testing or you know nascar approved tire testing whatever it may be because that's not cheap so to have supercomputers and simulation models and even driving the loop simulators um it's a far more cost effective. I mean, you look at what you have in Formula One now, you know, you'll have dry, you know, each team has a driver in loop simulator, which probably costs the same amount as an average NASCAR team's budget just for this one tool. And they'll have world class drivers. Uh, you know, Mercedes have Anthony Davidson, for example, and, and the like. They'll have world class drivers in their simulator on a race weekend going through different scenarios. Now, NASCAR's not at that stage. I don't know of any team that actually has their own simulator at the moment. I know the manufacturers have one each. Uh, GM have one, uh, Ford, have, I think Ford and Toyota will probably both have one. 
and I know there's a couple of independent ones within the US that some teams use. But that's Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Certainly an area that's going to be growing over the next five to ten years as as teams become more and more budget conscious. Certainly. So before we, you know, turn our whole show over to technical talk, uh, Louise, we, we <laughs> what's, wrong, what's, what's wrong with that? Huh? Nothing. I love it. I don't. <laughs> I love it. But, but we have to have a little, you know, variety is a spice of life. So uh, and we need to mention that there was a truck race out there at Daytona as well. Uh, they ran primarily in the rain. Uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so Louisa. Uh, speaking of rain, <laughs> let's talk before we jump to trucks. Yeah, they need to do well. Actually, it correlates with it. They need to sort something out to where let the drivers decide if or, yeah. and the teams decide yep. what they want to do. Don't put a 100%. caution. Don't put a caution. Now, I understand it's in the rule book, but don't put a caution. It's not going to work out if it's just only raining a one bit of the race. Like, just yeah. let the Terrible stuff go home. Yeah, terrible, terrible decision. There is an art of was it somebody wrote a book called The Art of Racing in the Rain or something, or is it a movie? One of the two. Both. Uh, so yeah. it's, a, it's a book and a movie, and it had very little to do with racing. I know. About, it was about a dog. Dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, but, it, yeah. but it, the, the concept is true. You know, there is an art to it, and don't take that away from the drivers. There'll be some drivers that are far more adept to to to, to ride, driving on slick tires in the rain than others, and if you've got a skill set, let them use it. Don't throw a caution. Let them make a damn decision. That, that annoys me, that rule. It really does. Yeah, really everybody yeah, I mean, upset about yeah. it for the most part. And it just left me with a bad taste, especially during that truck race. In addition with that, and also it just... It ruined the cup race in, in a way as well, didn't it? Quite a bit. It certainly derailed Chase Elliott from yeah. going, what, five in a row on a road course? Exactly. But I, was, I remember when... We were discussing this uh, when I worked in the sport. You know, we were going to uh, Watkins Glen. I mean, it never, it's not going to rain in Sonoma, is it? We were going to Watkins Glen, and the actual the forecast was for rain that weekend, potentially. We were discussing this, you know, and the, the crew chief said, well, what, what, you know, obviously you stop for rain tyres under the regulations from NASCAR. So he says, well, you know, you want to be the first car onto slicks, you know, when it stops raining. He says, no, no, no. You want to be the first car onto slicks that keeps it on the road when it stops raining. You can be the first car on slicks, but if you stick it in the barriers, it's no use to anybody. So there is an art there, and there's a skill, and the driver, you know, some of these drivers, especially the guys that have done a lot of the endurance racing, you know, get a feel for the car and get an understanding for it, and let, let them use the skills they have. Uh, I think it really sort of neuters 
neuters the sport really and takes away from uh, from the, some of the skills of the drivers there. Yeah, unless you're yeah. Kimi Raikkonen, then you decide to prematurely go for words when yeah. it never came out. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but uh, anyway, sometimes you got to throw. Sometimes you got to you know try and throw throw a double six, haven't you, and see what happens. You know. Yeah, for sure. I get ridiculed by a couple of my friends when I did that similar thing with the F1 game and it rained like 20 minutes later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It happens. Yeah, but I think largely, I mean, if you uh, if you want to give NASCAR a pass on this, uh, you know, largely racing in the rain is a very new concept um, to NASCAR compared to uh, say Formula One or even IndyCar race. And these Formula One guys have it down to a size. They've been racing in the rain since, you know, 1950. Yeah, um, they've even been test a sim- like a quote-unquote simulator rain yeah. at Bar- yeah, Barcelona. Uh, Paul, yeah, no, Paul Ricard has a full wet weather system on the track. And if you're testing at Paul Ricard, you can just open the tap and soak the circuit in 20 minutes or something and then do a full wet test, yeah. 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 So I mean, NASCAR. I mean, they'll get this figured out. The more more road courses they add, and the you know the more races in the rain they'll have. So, but anyway, so the truck race. So it was uh, <laughs> Ben Rhodes. Am I correct? Yep. Ben Rhodes starts off the season two and zero. Only Mark Martin in 06 and Johnny Sauter in twenty thirteen have done it in the truck series. And as I was alluding to the multiple overtime cautions, it's just everything above was just a mess. If you're why well, could a swarm NASCAR used to have local yellows at Watkins Glen and Sonoma, and all of a sudden it's just a lost art? Apparently, local yellows that they were very yeah, hesitant yeah. to throw oddly, yellows. Yeah, oddly enough, you don't you don't see local yellows in Indy cars much as you used to either. They, they're so quick to go to the full course caution this day and age, and IndyCar as well as NASCAR. Yeah, I don't, I I can't remember the last time I've seen a local yellow, but that used to be that used to be a thing. Yeah, that's how I remember it. Like, I, I tell you this: if this happened in now, like Christian Fittipaldi, like a Sonoma in two thousand and three, where he got lost, that probably they probably would have thrown a yellow for it just to get Fittipaldi back where he needs to be. Back in 03, they just continued like nothing. Just Fittipaldi got lost. Yeah, and they just laughed at him. <laughs> So. I honestly thought it was Hideo Fukuyama, but for whatever reason, it was actually Christian Fittipaldi. He's like, wow, I don't know what eight-year-old me was thinking at the time. Actually, I was nine, but I could have swear it was it, it was a bad race for Fittipaldi. <laughs> well, then again, all of his cup races were just that. Yeah. So uh, speaking of being eight or nine, let's talk about uh, Ty Gibbs. Who? Um, <laughs> yes, I know he's eighteen. I know he's eighteen, but he, yeah, he sure making us. He's, he's he sure looks young, but uh, boy, this kid was. Uh, I mean, I, I know there's the argument. Oh, we had the best equipment. I mean, but yeah, I mean, it, to the point. You know, NASCAR Xfinity cars are fairly. You know, there's a fair bit of a parody in there compared. It's not like he was in Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes against the Xfinity guys. Uh, I'm yeah, sure he, he would. I'm sure he would have loved to drive that thing, considering he's a big F1 guy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but let's talk about this kid. And they've they've given him given him a very ambitious schedule for this year, a full season of ARCA. And now, uh, with this win at Daytona, he's looking at, I believe, picking up fourteen more Xfinity starts over the year. Is that correct? Yep, they've gave him a a heavy duty play. This was I surprised they were because he was only going to run like a handful of races. He's going to share the car with Ty Dillon and. 
Denny Hamlin, Martin Truex Jr., and Kyle Busch. But now I think it basically almost fills up nearly the whole 54-car schedule by having Ty run, essentially have a rookie campaign of his own. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you this. I was thoroughly impressed. He had a pretty good showing in the ARCA race last August at the Daytona Road Course. But I wasn't expecting it to be that well put, well composed, didn't put a single error. He had no little to no errors at, at all. The only time he was hesitant, it was during the closing laps when he had to deal with Austin Cindric without a right front fender because racing hard at stage one was, I guess, necessary that Almondinger and Cindric wrecked. Then poor Riley Hurst just had nowhere to go but to the grass and destroyed his car completely, big time. That's yeah, the that, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a bit messy, and it seemed to me a bit unnecessary at the end of stage one. But uh, I, I mean, these guys are driving hard. So, but uh, back to uh, Ty Gibbs. So this kid started in shifter carts, correct? I believe so. I know he drove some late model stuff a, a couple years ago, but it was not really until his arc. Once he went to Arca, people are starting to notice what he's capable of because the track record when there's a Gibbs family member driving these stock cars or truck, because JD used to drive in the truck series, and also Ty's father, Coy Gibbs, they had no success. They hardly had any success. The fact that Ty has able to turn that stigma around has been pretty impressive. Sure, he's hard on himself. That's the thing. He's hard on himself. He can be very blunt or very primitive and secretive and not letting other people know his schedule or what his plans are until the moment is necessary. So that was my big concern. And I think there's a little bit of that with the extra schedule, but if he, but the fact that he stepped up to the plate, first ever NASCAR start an Xfinity car, which many people say it has more demand, more of a free, do what you can spirit compared to the cup cars where it's just only formulaic based on the package that they have was really, really impressive. It, it, it honestly surprised me quite a lot that he didn't croak under pressure because mm. those young kids, sometimes they crack under pressure big time. doesn't matter what division it is. You could look at a Jason Lepper or Andy Houston when they move up the cup or an Xfinity like Sean Case and – JJ Ailey even it's tough in the fact yeah, but, but I guess I guess my point about the shifter carts was that these you know all these shifter carts that these kids are running when they're as young as five years old are are primarily they're all road courses you know you get a guy like uh Chase Elliott who ran some shifter carts when he was very young uh, as opposed to somebody who ran something like you know, Bandoleros and quarter midgets and those sort of things kind of primes these guys for, for these uh, road course races. And as we see, we're going a whole lot more road course heavy on the schedule, you know, mind you, we're still primarily ovals, but uh, I, I think there's something to be said for that, um, you know, that level of experience. I mean, this is exactly why guys that start in the, you know, Bandoleros and quarter midgets don't end up in IndyCar racing, but the guys that do end up in IndyCar racing are, you guys are starting to shift the carts and skip barber and formula V and those sort of things. Yeah, yeah for sure. Just like with Tiger's not really much. I'm not awfully familiar to what he's did much younger. I'm more used to what he's done the past three or four years at most. That's kind of what I was leading towards to, but 
But yeah, I'd imagine if you're well equipped on those road courses through karting, it's obviously going to build up in the long run. Look at Kaz Grawl and Austin Cindric. They and for the longest of time, Cindric was viewed as the road guy before he started finally winning on these ovals the past year. Well, you know, Cindric needs to win in NASCAR if he's going to get to the Indy 500. Yep, and man, <laughs> he had he had that shot in the Daytona 500. He had a right? long car, but then he got shuffled out and got pretty much barbecued by the Penske drivers. Nowhere to go in the big one. Yeah, speaking of Penske, they're just having a tough time. They seem to be, <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot yeah. of a lot of busted up sheet metal uh, down there. At, at the Penske shop. Yeah, not just so. them, but also the Wood Brothers, their aligned member with yes, Benedetto, yes. to where he's v- at the bottom of the points table after two rounds. Ouch. And this is the guy everyone had high helps for, Matthew Benedetto. That was a, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people are pegging him as the next first-time winner. Now we've had two, and he still hasn't won his first race. But at the end of the Give day. It time. Give it I, time. I get it. I like the Benedetto. and, and I We know got he, Vegas coming up. We got Vegas coming up. Yeah, I like the Benedetto, but uh, you know he's got to he's got to make some hay this year because he's essentially unemployed at the end of the year. As Austin Cindric will hop into that ride, uh, which is already predetermined. So um, mm-hmm. I mean, we're ho- hoping the best for Maddie there. So yeah. now, speaking of speaking of young guys that started in shifter carts and we're good on road courses, um, we're off to Homestead next week where. Santino Ferrucci, who's uh, been pretty good in IndyCars the last couple of years, will make his uh, Xfinity debut. Now, Louise, you followed this a little bit. Uh, well, I mean, what are your thoughts on um, uh, Santino? I, I mean, I'm 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 kind of hot and cold on the guy. You know, there are things about the guy I really like. There's other things about him that rub me the wrong way. Uh, at the end of the day, I think he's got a lot of talent. How do you think he'll fare in Xfinity? Putting the whole ordeal when he was trying to be a Formula One driver aside. When he had Michael Cannon, he really, really impressed in 2019. When he lost Michael Cannon as he went to Dixon and Ganassi, he he wasn't that consistent to the point that Alex Pillow actually was more outperform him out and just all around the board. Just the ovals just where Ferrucci tend to shine. And when I when he was talking to the press earlier on earlier Wednesday, he was. Very, he's very focused on polishing the ovals. That's why right now his schedule is oval loaded. He's doing the Sims, but he's going in cold turkey because he, when he steps in that 26 Sam Hunt racing Toyota, this is the first time he's ever going to step on an actual stock car, period. So it's going to be a huge learning curve for Santino. I'm curious to see if his driving style will suit him much better there to where he don't have to necessarily worry about the hurting or harming people that's not been the case when he was for the most part an indy car sometimes then and there he'll have an incident or two but he's kept it well composed and that's why he was very excited to watch on those ovals just like any announcer yeah, oh no no, no he he was a very clean driver in indy car yeah he never there wasn't a whole lot of things that that happened that uh were his fault or that he caused yeah but uh yeah but my, my my bigger concern and richard you can probably chime in with this that that we've seen a lot of folks come over from indycar and you know from a, a full open wheel background getting into a stock car uh that has uh you know brakes that aren't quite as responsive the car is mm-hmm. heavier uh you know the, the the car is wider uh it doesn't 
go right. You know, you have to muscle it more. It doesn't go exactly where you want it to. And we've seen, you know, we've seen very fine drivers like, uh, oh, Dario Franchitti yeah. really struggle trying to get the feel of a stock car. <laughs> um, but but yep. San- Santino's relatively young, you know, compared to some of the other folks that tried to to make the move there. So uh, I, what, do you, what do you see for um, young Santino? I think it's going to be a struggle. Uh, as you say, I think there's... Um... Yeah, I think a lot of the drivers that make the switch, they'll say that you know, an Indy car or an open wheel car in any series, you, you drive the car. A stock car drives you, and you've just got to guide it around the corners, basically. Um, it'll be a different experience for him. Of course it will, massively. And it'll be interesting to see how he gets on from a... Excuse me, a... Um, Dare we say personality standpoint? I think he he always strikes me. He's a young kid. He's obviously very confident, as you have to be. But he 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 always comes across as if, as, as if he's you know one of these guys that could you know fall out with himself in an elevator. You know, he just seems to rub everybody up the wrong way. And uh, yeah, hopefully he won't because you know. A lot of the times, you know, stock car racers, they, they, they take these things one of two ways. They either really, you know, enjoy and invite a open wheel racer or somebody from another series coming over to, 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 to experience what they do, or they go the exact opposite way and make the guy's life a living hell by, you know, making it really difficult for him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, Louise, am I corrected? I, I, I swear I read something that uh, uh, Connor Daly has a couple of Xfinity races on um, on his slate as well this year. I have not heard anything about Connor Daly on the Xfinity site, but I have heard he's going to run the Truck Series for Nice Sports Sports again in Las Vegas coming that, up. That, that's what it was, truck, truck race, yeah. Yeah, and speaking to add on to the Santino thing, I think, doing the chili bowl and all those dirt sprint cars beforehand, I think is may help him to some extent, because when you look at Homestead Miami speed, we look at guys like Kyle Larson or Christopher Bell, who have done, who are experts on those dirt racing, those sprint cars and midgets, how they've done real well in Homestead. I think maybe to some extent running those could help a little bit on Santino, but I don't think it's going to be the defining example. Where, okay, he, just because he ran this, he's going to be fine. No, of course, it's a different animal to what he's used to. I think it's going to take him some time. I think running the next five races in Xfinity and understanding the different tracks because he's going to run like like Martinsville, for example. I think running those different types right, is going to build him up and fully understand it. I think when he when I asked him, why focus more on ovals than road courses? I think the way he explained it, he knows some of the challenges that will come up, like the different tracks, the different surface levels, and all that's like if he's aware of all if he has that awareness to what to expect or what he, he has in mind, I think he'll understand it and willing to adapt because he's still young. Because when Frankie came to NASCAR or even Sam Hornish. They were right around there on age-wise, but they were so used to doing all the other stuff in open wheel for years upon years, especially in the top level of IndyCar, IRL, car, to when they jumped to NASCAR, it just proved to be difficult. But also, 
They only gave him a handful of lower level starts before going to Cup. I think with Santino going to Xfinity, I think it's a very wise start to do start small before thinking about big picture. Yeah, so I have a I have a theory about um, Franchitti, and it actually holds water if you think about it. That um, he was looking to get in a NASCAR, you know, number one because he was living in the South at the time. Him and Ashley Judd had a uh, had a home in Nashville. Um, NASCAR was there was much more money there, much more exposure there. And, and I think Chip Ganassi offering um, Dario a cup ride was a way to go ahead and, and get him onto his IndyCar team where he, you know, went on to win two more Indy 500s and three more championships. Just yeah. saying, just yeah. saying, a Chip's evil plan worked pretty well. Yeah, and, it, um, and, at the and, expense you know, of Dan Weldon, who ended up going to Panther because of it. Yeah, yeah, but but if you but if you think about it, right? It's you know, so chips out well, a NASCAR thing, and he, he pulled him from the season early, you know, for the whole oh the sponsor, oh the sponsor dropped their commitment. So uh yeah, Dario, we have nothing else for you. But uh if you want to drive my Indy car, you can do that. And <laughs> you know, yeah, so, yeah, I mean if that was Chip's whole evil plan to begin with, man, it worked to perfection. Oh, it did. <laughs> it certainly did. Look at that. He won two more Indy 500s, a couple more championships. And, and and Dan Weldon ended up with the raw deal. People forget that before Dario's career ended at Houston, he was the top indie car guy. It was not Scott Dixon. It was Dario Franchitti. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Them. Yeah, Dario became a legend in IndyCar racing, you know, and, and a Hall of Famer. And his little NASCAR experiment is just a footnote. It's just a footnote now. Yeah, and, um, but, and honestly, uh, is and, and also didn't how that he got hurt at Talladega in the nationwide race when he got T-boned by oh, Larry Gunselman. Broke his ankle, didn't he, or something? Yeah, when he got Gunselman in turn one or turn yeah. three, whatever it was. All right, so so we're off to Homestead. Who do you guys like for Homestead? <laughs> you know, it's hard to go against like a guy like Harvick. You know, but but at the same time, this season is started off like no other with two <laughs> first time winners. So uh, um, who do you like for Homestead, Louise? I like Tyler Reddick's chances, but I also feel like Denny Hamlin is looking poised. Sure. He's asked a little side on him on Twitter, which has been kind of the all the rage midweek all week about his Twitter and how it's being sarcastic or legitimate, depending how you see it. But I, I think Camlin will do well. I think sometimes when he something something like that is probably gonna build motivation. And when he does, I think he'll do well. Mm. But I feel like Tyler Reddick, if he remembers his 267 laps, not 266, I think he'll be up there at, 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 in a battle. I think the RCR cars have shown progress. Sure, Reddick has not had the greatest start either. But coming to a track that he's had success, he knows. He darn sure had a great run in the cup side the whole pretty much the whole entire time. I I feel like Tyler Reddick is favorable for this one more than Hamlin, but don't don't count him out either. Okay. Now, Richard, what are your thoughts on Homestead? I would go with somebody who's driven well there in the past. He's with a new team this year after a uh, you know, less than uh, less than memorable uh, 2020. Uh, Carl Larson. Yeah, he did. Kyle Larson did have a great run. Yeah, he's uh, had two or three really good, strong 
races at uh, you know at Homestead, and it's a track that sort of suits his driving style. He can you know, he can run that high line around the wall all day long, and uh, yeah, I think yeah, I think he'll be good, and it's good for him in a way to get a track that he's confident at you know, early on in the season with Hendrick, so he can, you know, have that little to say that little bit of confidence going in there rather than if it was the last race of the season. Yeah. And I've got to say that the, um, you know, the Penske guys have been knocking at the door these last couple of races, these last two races, and, and they just have everything go wrong. So I'll say maybe, maybe everything goes right for the Penske guys <laughs> at Homestead. And then, then they can maybe get a little reset on their season and Joey Logano wins this race. Mm. So, well, you know, just a thought. I don't know. Joey's been was pretty strong at Daytona. He was um, leading. I mean, what was he? he was leading both races, pretty much going into at least two to go in both races, hasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he sure was. So, uh, so maybe it's a, uh, you know, they've got to kind of get that monkey off their back of uh, getting close but no cigar. So, but anyway, speaking of guys going to IndyCar, you know, IndyCar guys going to NASCAR, NASCAR guys going to IndyCar. Let's talk about uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson, who's getting ready to. Um, test down there at Barber this coming week. They, they unveiled, they unveiled the Carvana livery for the car. Um, and, uh, Jimmy's very excited and ready to go. Yeah. There's a lot of people still, Oh, you know, they're a little annoyed that he, he's not going to run the ovals, not going to run the 500, but, uh, uh, do you feel like this is going to be a really uphill battle for a 45 year, year old Jimmy Johnson? I'd say so. It's going to be quite quite a long up undertaking task for him for this season. If he actually surprise, if he actually ends up being getting a couple top tens, I say it'll be a successful year. I think I I feel like it's a little bit unfair to say this, but I'll say it anyway. I think if he fares better than Erickson and Polo then I'd be thoroughly impressed. But if Polo and Erickson outperforms Johnson dramatically, then it's going to be, it'll be a long, long year for Johnson. I feel like if they're equal, all three of them are within, if Johnson is equal with Erickson and Polo, I say it's a strong start to his IndyCar career. If he's off the pace between those two guys, then it's a long year ahead. Man, I'll just throw this out there that that historically Chip Ganassi Racing operates at their best level when they're a two-car team. You know, they've they've gone from you know yeah. two car, two car, three car, four car. Uh, but but you know, the couple of years they were a, a two-car team or uh, you know, but it seemed like the team three and team four are afterthoughts. Um, uh, you know, other than the occasional like 2013, Charlie Kimball uh was brilliant at mid-Ohio. Uh, but, but, you know, the rest of his duration with Chip Ganassi was, uh, you know, some highs and lows, but, but only the one big high at, uh, at mid Ohio where he won the race. He had some good runs at Indy. So, uh, you know, and, and, and I want to say the same thing for team Penske this year, expanding to four cars, um, you know, that they historically operate better as a two or three car team. And and having the, the the fourth car there is not necessarily uh, conducive to. I mean, if you, if you recall when uh, Pagano joined the team the first year, he had a miserable year. Came back the next year, won the championship, but um, you know th- that's neither here nor there. But I really, 
uh, you know, even though he's in a Ganassi car, there's a definite pecking order at Ganassi and Dixon is at the top. It just remains to be seen who's two, three, and four. You know, Palou's in the 10, but he's a new guy, right? Mm-hmm. Eric, Erickson's been there a couple of years. He's got a good relationship with the engineers. Maybe he could be the number two. Well, Jimmy Johnson's bringing a, quite a bit of money to the team. And, and then you've got Tony Kanaan running the ovals. You know, I, I, you know, my bold prediction at the end of the year last year was that uh, Tony Kanaan wins the Indy 500 in the Ganassi car and calls it a career, which is definitely possible. So, but uh, anyway, so all this formula or the, the Indy cars are um, running some tests. Sebring, they've had some testing. Uh, Roman Grosjean, who's the, uh, you know, late of the Haas team in Formula One is coming over to IndyCar again. Another guy who's not running the ovals, but he uh, he had some interesting comments about his first uh, laps in IndyCar. And Louise, you can elaborate on this. Yeah, it started a little rough for Grosjean at Barber on Tuesday where he went off into the gravel. I know there was a tweet out there that, oh, boom, oh he wanted to gravel days over, but no. It took about an hour, and they got that Dale Coin Racing with Rick Ware Racing, number 51 Honda, back on track. And he 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 pretty much alluded that how an IndyCar handles is vastly different than Formula One, naturally, because he said an F1 car is more aerodynamic dependent, whereas the IndyCar, you can pretty much run your own line. You're, it's not like sometimes with F1, you have to run at a certain lane to get the maximal lap that you want. But in any car, he realized quick that you can try different lines and see what works for you. But also, there's more. It's a lot more to to the car. Like you can't really do certain things in any car compared to Formula One. And it's also much less speed, lot less power. That's something he had to get used to. But he had a real tight car, a real tight Honda, much of the session. So it was certainly a learning curve for him from a competitive, from a competitor standpoint, doing in his first official drive since what happened in Bahrain. I know he's going to go to Laguna Seca as his next session, so we'll be curious to see how he navigates around there during the private session. Yeah, and we can't forget that he's still nursing those third degree burns on his hands. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you if you've seen his hands, but they look. Mm. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they look pretty awful. So, but, uh, but, but, but you got to give the guy uh, his due for getting in there, still being relatively injured, uh, you know, with, with those burns on his hands and as, as heavy as the steering is in there, um, just giving it his all. Now, Richard, what are your thoughts on Grosjean? You think he'll be uh, pretty good in IndyCar? You know, mind you, he's not with the top team. Uh, but but coins, you know, Dale Coin has had moments of brilliance on and off for years. Yeah, I think he'll I think he'll do okay there. I think he's he's experienced enough now in any form of motorsport. Um, you know, he's professional enough. He's had a good grounding and a good base, uh, you know, b- base there. And I think he'll be competitive. I think he'll um, he'll go there and he'll put up a good good show. And uh, I I really do expect him to to be challenging, you know, maybe to later in the season, you know, especially at somewhere like Coda that he knows, um, you know, for not necessarily wins and podiums, but certainly, you know, high, high top 10 finishes. And a lot of it depends on the tools that he's given. Uh, if he's given a competitive package and given the real support, then, uh, then certainly there's an opportunity for him to do well there. But uh, I think he's probably, you know, 
in the last 20 years that I can think of, probably the most competent Formula One driver to come across at the right time in his career. Um, Since at least Emerson Fittipaldi, to some extent. Yeah, I mean, he's... Yeah, I mean, what is what is Grosjean? 33? Yeah, he's going to be 35 this year. Okay, so so mid-30. So he's got, you know, a good four or five years, you know, maybe even longer at a competitive level in IndyCar uh, world. Um, And, you know, he's not... He's certainly not coming over as a, oh, what shall I do for the next five years? Oh, I'll just go over there and earn a bit of a paycheck and do this and that. You know, I don't think that's his mentality. And uh, I, I really do, you know, think that he'll make a good fist of it and he'll be very, very competitive there. Yeah. And that's yeah, I mean, yeah, you could you could say the same thing about Ericsson came over at a pretty good time. Ericsson didn't uh, really. I mean, Ericsson. Ericsson was a strange driver in Formula yeah. One, wasn't he? he yeah, was, yeah, but he, he never, never had a good car at all. No, honestly, no. This was he, before Alfa Romeo came along, but when Alfa Romeo yeah. came along, it was too late. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And Ericsson's done reasonably well, you know, in IndyCar. I don't think you can knock him there, but I, I think Grosjean's got a little bit more about him. You know, uh, I, I, I really do. And it'll be interesting to see how he does that. Yeah, he's um, shown it. With those yeah. podiums at Lotus. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy's quick. You know, the, there's certainly no hesitation about that. And I mean, it's not just the odd podium. It's multiple podiums, isn't it? I mean, I can't yeah, remember. I think he had like nine, po- nine, nine or ten. Nine or podiums. ten. So, yeah, I mean, the guy, you know, he, he, he can hold his own there. And he's pretty, from people that I know that have worked with him, he's pretty strong-headed and, and pretty opinionated. And if there's something he doesn't like, he'll tell you. And you know, hopefully he'll maintain that. And you know, I saw the photographs he was talking there, Sebastian Bourdais, and it'll be good for him to have that um you know yeah. certain amount and he'll know Eric's and he'll uh, he may know Sato, they may have crossed over a little bit. Maybe, I think Sato was very little. No, actually Sato was already gone when Groshan made his debut with Renault in 09. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, Sato did a nine in Formula One. So it was only until the Aguri Suzuki team went yeah. folded in 08. I'm trying to remember now. Yeah, well, Sato's debut in IndyCar was 2010. Yeah, I thought so. He... So they, they, they may have crossed. Anyway, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah so. whatever it may be. But yes, yeah, certainly there have had some, uh, you know, there'll be people that he'll know and there'll be engineers probably kicking around that have done a bit of both and uh, and the like. So it won't be completely alien to him. And again, a, a guy like that, you know, he'll know he'll have a target on his back, as will, as you mentioned earlier, Jimmy Johnson and guys like that. You know, they, they don't do this sort of thing um, on a whim. You know, they're, they have enough respect for the sport and the other competitors to, to to go there and do it properly and professionally and not turn up and go, oh, you know, I'm just going to, you know, earn a bit of money for a few a few years now. They're, they're, they're going to do it properly. Yeah, especially Johnson. He's pretty much financially set. He's just doing this as kind oh, of yeah. the next chapter. Well, I mean, as is, as is Grosjean. I mean, you know, in reality, and, we, we forget these, these guys don't need to, you know. Yeah, and also yeah. Scott McLaughlin. I'm not sure how much they make down there a top-level supercar driver, but I imagine they get paid pretty well up there. And also, he's still yeah, in, that, yeah. 
and still in that age group sort of with Groshan is still in his pinnacle. Yeah, how old is McLaughlin? That's an interesting question, actually. I'm not... Uh... I think he's pushing I, around late twenties or early. Yeah, I thought he's 30s. in his mid to late twenties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's relatively young, and but he's certainly accomplished, and he's in a Penske car. So I mean, you've got to really look at him. And I read an article today uh, where he was talking about being his own worst critic. You know, but um, that, that's a good that that's a good thing though. He's obviously that, that, yeah. that's a good thing. That that means oh, yeah. he, that means he's putting in the work. Yeah, he's putting the thing, and he he seems to be very very um, excited about the um, mm-hmm. his IndyCar, uh, you know, debut you know rookie season coming up. I know we had a had a one uh, one start last year, but uh, yeah, this guy's going to be good, and and the cars are totally different from you know what he's been running in Australian supercars, but um, he seemed to have taken to them, you know, v- very well. If you if you go all the way back to uh, preseason testing before. Uh, most of the 2020 year was canceled. He was, uh, he was pretty, you know, put some pretty hot, hot laps out there um, in preseason testing. So that's going to be another guy to watch. But yeah. uh, I, I think, you know, I think the team to watch this year in IndyCar is going to be um, Aaron McLaren. Mm-hmm. I really think mm-hmm. they've got, uh, they showed great pace last year. You know, we saw um, award was what third or fourth in the championship. Multiple podiums. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ask you got a podium as well, but you got uh, Felix Rosenqvist in that team there, who's another very accomplished racer. Um, I'm not sure who the team leaders are going to be. I'm not sure what the pecking order is there, uh, but both those guys are, are, are dynamite, and they've, uh, uh, you know, they, they've announced an, another sponsor. They've got Views coming on board, which mm-hmm. is a another vapor product, but that's more money coming to the team. So this is, this is a well-funded, very professional team. Um, we know that um, McLaren has very professional facilities out there in the UK for uh, testing and, and, you know, and when they've got their own wind tunnel and aerodynamics. So uh, these are going to be, these are going to be the guys to challenge the uh, you know, the big three in IndyCar and, uh, you know, to, to, the point of them challenging Sam Schmidt racing has always been right on that cusp, uh, you know, like along with um, Ed Carpenter at the, the, the team to challenge the big three. Um, so I really think that uh, you're going to have to watch the McLaren guys this year. Yeah, for sure. Another one I'll toss in is Renus VK as well. A lot of people have been putting him over big time, especially this off season that he could be one guy to totally watch. That could probably be, Maybe right finally for a top five point season, I wouldn't be too surprised if he can amount to that. Speaking of Ed Carpenter, but yeah, as far as Rosick was, I think this is the opportunity for him to say, Okay, I'm going to a new team, a well established team that could be much even stronger. I'm it's time for me to shine because when he was he was basically in some many ways in the shadow of Dixon his entire time with Ganassi. Anybody, anybody, anybody not named Frank Keaty. <laughs> yeah, that has, that has driven for Chip Ganassi is in the shadow of Dixon. Yeah, yeah. So, even uh, Dan Weldon could have was probably in the shadow of Dixon, even sure, though yeah. Weldon won the championship before Dixon and the Indianapolis 500. Uh, you just got you just got to look at that 2008 season, how how Dixon dominated week in and week out to to say that uh, Dan was second in the pecking order for sure. Yeah, because when Weldon was with Ganassi, he tied with Hornish in the championship. 
but he lost yeah. out due to the number of wins. Right, but 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 to your point, Weldon did not win the championship before Dixon because Dixon won the, his first championship in 2003. Oh, you're right. Excuse me. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Dixon yeah, won in 2003, yeah. And, um, you know, Weldon's first championship was Indianapolis 500 then, not scratch what I said about the championships. Oh, okay, there you go. That's a, <laughs> that, 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 this is quite true. And, you know, right. Dan, Dan still has a one indie win up on Dixon. Cause I kind of wonder if, you know, they talk about the Andretti curse, you know, Mario Andretti drove the whole fine, great career with only that one Indy 500 win. And, and Dixon's kind of going down that road, <laughs> you know, he's had this, he's just got that one Indy 500 win and he's been yeah, close. terrible. He's been Seven, close so many times. He's been close. Seventeen so could have been seventeen. Could have been a strong five hundred, but he got what up in that wreck. Then last year he just got outsmarted by. He got Sato. outsmarted by Sato. Yeah, I mean Sato. You know Sato is. Uh, you know he can. Uh, he, he, Sato's in the two timers club. He can walk by Dixon and say peasants. You know. I'd, I'd, be, I'd, be, I'd be devastated if I had only one Indy five hundred win. I, I know Richard. I know Richard. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be ha- I'd, I'd be happy with one. But in fairness to my error, I was due for one. And again, I was due for one anyway. So it's all good. It's all good. All right. So IndyCar kicks off um, in Barber. Uh, in was it was it still two months away or a month and a half away? April eighteenth is the season opener at Barber on the Big Boy Network, NBC. Yep, yep. So we're still almost two months away. Now, Richard, Formula One teams are beginning their launch, their yes. launches, uh, which yep. are always exciting. But, yeah. uh, you know, for this year, yeah. it's where, I mean, the, the years are, the, the rules are pretty static. They so are. there's not a lot of changes. But if you want to go ahead and update us on some of the sure. cars, cars that have, uh, have their launches, and um, that'd be great. Yeah. So 2021 was meant to be the, the, you know, the new dawn in Formula One, new aero package, these radical cars that could run nose to tail at 200 miles an hour and, you know, pass 10 times a lap and all this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, with everything that's been going on uh, in the last uh, year or so that we're all aware of, the, the teams have pushed that, uh, pushed those new regulations back to 2022. So the 2021 cars are, are basically a B spec of the. 2020 car and to help create a slightly more level playing field the FIA have introduced this token system and split up the car into numerous um, areas if you like and these tokens can be used on specific areas of the car to improve performance so it could be suspension it could be front wing it could be rear wing it could be diffuser it could be engine you know all of these sort of uh, different uh, different sections of the car that teams can can work on so 90 percent of what you see on a car is going to be the same as what you had last year and and really to sort of pick out the differences you, you have to have a pretty keen eye um some of the cars we've seen so far mclaren for example they've got uh, they've done quite a bit of work around the bargeboard area uh is quite noticeable uh red bull uh have launched their car with a, a new front wing um complex if you like as of alpha Turi as well they have a new uh front end of the car uh and Did it's you say of- the front wing complex that's hilarious <laughs> that's what it's called i know they, well if you look at some of them where they stacked up it looks like a high-rise apartment building. yeah 
Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> so you have, yeah, you, you you'll have, um, you know, your 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 rear wing complex, and uh, I mean, maybe that was just what some old boy used to call it when I worked there, and he was actually joking with me and trying to make me look like an idiot. 10 years later on a podcast somewhere, but who knows? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't heard that before, but I love it. Yeah. I mean, it could be just an aerodynamicist term. I'm in no way an aerodynamicist, so I probably don't have any right to use that. But um, yeah, you know, so, so you're not going to see a huge, huge difference. Um, you, know, you watch the McLaren launch and they spent longer with Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo making a song for the team than they did actually talking about the car itself. Um, so it, it, it's not the same enthusiasm as a normal launch. There's a few tweaks that they've made to the car in terms of the regulations. They're about um, 10% down on aerodynamic grip. Uh, if you look um, you know, at the rear of the car, it's a little bit in front of the rear wheels. There's a little bit less body work. It's more of like uh, you know, the floor juts in before the rear wheels rather than goes all the way back to the front wheel. So there's little bits and pieces that they've changed, but it's, it's nothing major from a, um, you know, you'd normally see year on year. So you're not going to see a huge jump in, in, the, in the pecking order of, of the teams, really. I mean, a Red Bull have said that they want to become more competitive on a wider variety of tracks rather than, you know, very specific tracks, whereas Mercedes does seem to have that... Um, you know, wider, wider bandwidth of performance there. So, you know, minor changes, the bigger changes that you're going to see this year, we're still waiting to see, obviously, the launch of Aston Martin, uh, some of the driver changes as well, which we really won't get to see until, you know, the actual car, um, cars hit the track in, in Bahrain. But um, it's going to be an interesting year, really, and it's going to be a strange year. It's, it's almost like a... 2020 B season, um, but uh, yeah, it, it's going to be good. And it's good to start seeing some of this, uh, you know, a little bit of normality coming back into it. Yeah, I think with these presentations, as we mentioned earlier, is because it's so much different, so much weird because of the pandemic. We don't get all that flashy major events, yeah. Spice Girls introducing McLaren cars. <laughs> yes. No, that's it. Oh, but I, I think it'll be curious. I'm definitely curious to see how the Aston Martin looks like. Some people think it's going to look like a watermelon car. Who knows? Yeah, well, they've still got the BWT sponsorship, which is where, you know, the, the racing point and Force Indies have been pink for the last few years. So be interesting to see how they integrate the pink, uh, you know, logos and, and um, corporate livery into a British racing green Aston Martin. But uh, maybe Aston Martin are paying enough that, they just have the BWT wording rather than the actual pink logo because, I mean, I'm no fashion guru, but pink and dark green is, is not a good combination in my book. No, I don't think F1 is, <laughs> I don't think F1 is ready for a watermelon car, much like they no. were not ready to see a split sponsorship car in 99. Oh, they were great. We loved those, yeah. Oh, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, the yeah. zipper car, yeah. So, but yep. guys, I do believe, <laughs> I do believe we are just about out of time. So, uh, I want to thank you, um, Louise. I want to thank you, Richard. I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and um, Google Podcasts. I want to thank Keith Hayes for producing us tonight. So uh, until next week, everybody have a good night. Watch the races. We'll talk to you soon. Good night.